Welcome to the Values Exchange Podcast. I'm Mike Cruz, your host, private pilot, author of Saturday Every Day, and CEO of North Texas Wealth Management, a firm dedicated to values-based financial planning. This podcast uncovers the values and habits of highly successful people and dives into how it has shaped their success and what you can learn from their personal stories. Welcome back to the Values Exchange uh, podcast. I'm Mike Cruz, your host. And today uh, we're going to be talking about the intersection of values of education and learning. We have a special guest with us today, Seth Sarton. He's Director of Financial Planning at North Texas Wealth Management. Uh, he attended Texas Tech University. And what's unique is he spent um, some time right after college as an educator teaching Spanish in high school, before then changing careers and learning to become a financial planner and all that that entails. While attending Texas Tech University, Seth, Seth spent time abroad in Spain, Brazil, and in, even in Egypt, where he learned um, Spanish, Portuguese, and Arabic, which is one of the most difficult languages to learn. So um, looking forward to uh, our discussion today. So Seth, thanks for being here. Uh, looking forward to getting your unique perspective about the values of education and learning. And so right offhand, if I were to ask you, uh, what, does, what does the value of education mean to you? Uh, mm, that's a good one. Well, before we jump in, I just wanna say thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks I've, for being here. I've seen kind of the list of some of the other guests you have coming in, and I'm honored to be kind of in those ranks, uh, some impressive folks you have coming on the show. But um, the value of education, I, it, it's huge, right? And I think, you know, this, you know, the, the term education anymore even has kind of become this loaded term, unfortunately, right? And so when I think about it, I, I think about it simply as learning, teaching and learning. Right. That, that to me is what uh, education means. Um, and, and I think I think education is is an end unto itself. I, you know, a lot of people think about education as as this practical tool to get a better job, to be more productive, to do X, Y, Z task. And I just think as it, of it as an inherently enjoyable thing to learn new things, to, if you're an educator, to have the, the privilege of, of teaching others new things. Um, so it's, it's something like if I really, if I, if I kind of um, do a survey of the things that matter most to me or have mattered most to me, education certainly is among them. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, your unique perspective, having been an educator, um, what makes, I, I look at, you know, my kids and their teachers and they have some phenomenal teachers, but from your perspective, having been there, what makes a great teacher? Well, um, I said, I'll tell you this, I'm a little bit overwhelmed in, in kind of being tasked with speaking for all educators. So I should say, I'm going to do my best to do it justice, but I was a teacher. Um, I taught for six years, uh, everything from fifth grade to um, high school seniors doing, you know, advanced placement, college level courses. And I was fortunate enough to receive a considerable amount of training on the topic of education, of how to, how to educate, what makes a great teacher. And there are a number of characteristics that, you know, really effective teachers have. I think probably the, the first one, the first prerequisite to being a great educator is just this undying belief in students. 
that they can learn, that all of them can learn. And then, and then therefore, you know, what are the implications of that belief is this expectation of them that they will learn, that they will achieve. Um, now there's all kind of other, you know, tactics you learn as a being trained as an educator in different ways to design lessons and engage with students. But if you don't, number one, believe that they can and they will learn, I mean, that's really the starting point. There's a classic kind of, uh, teacher movie is uh, stand and deliver. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that one, it's, you know, inner city math teacher, he comes in, comes into the school really low achieving, no expectation on students. And he sets up this, I think it's like an AP math course. And one of the classic quotes is uh, students will rise to the level of expectations. So number one, before we talk about lesson planning, curriculum, all this, the expectation is you will learn. And I think that's, that's a priority one. That's great. So high, so you have a teacher that has high expectations and then that transfer of knowledge, what does that look like? What, what did, What's a great way to transfer knowledge? How do they, you know, for me, I don't have an education background. So when I go, if I were going to go teach something, um, I would be just kind of shooting in the dark. But from your background, what's that strategy to like actually transfer knowledge? Well, it's interesting, like, uh, especially in the college ranks, I would say a lot of those professors, educators on that level really don't have much in the way of formal training. And Knowing this in hindsight, this is going to sound judgy, but having been formally trained as an educator, many of them are shooting in the dark. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what you have, a lot, especially in colleges, is people who are uh, highly skilled uh, in their domain, which probably isn't education, meaning they're a physicist, they're a chemist, they're a English, you know, like a literary type. They don't have much in the way of training of actual education. And so it's unfortunate the the knowledge, the domain knowledge is there, but the actual skill of, of teaching is not there. And you really have to have both. Number one, you have to have domain knowledge. But the other is you do need these skills. And I, I, I'm somewhat ashamed to say this, but I think it's important. I found teaching a far more uh, intellectually stimulating endeavor than what I expected it to be. And, and maybe that's a function of kind of the way our society values education or, or doesn't. I, I didn't expect that it would actually be such an interesting thing to do to try and get someone else to learn something. Mm -hmm. And so there are all kind of different ways, you know, what is the, you know, what is the, the quality of an engaging lesson to a student, right? And so some of those things are, you, you learn this are like, um, people who are in education will recognize this term like uh, Bloom's taxonomy. This is kind of like, it looks like a kind of Maslow's type pyramid of different levels of thought, very superficial, just remembering something all the way up to, you know, analyzing something, to evaluating something, to creating something new. So if I'm teaching a lesson, my goal is to get students as high up on that pyramid as possible, right? To where they're engaging deeply with that content and what's required to do those higher order thinkings of analysis and um, evaluation creativity is you really have to master the basics. The basics are a prerequisite to get to that higher level thought. And that's really what sinks a lesson deep. Oh, sorry. So um, 
you know, if we were to apply that to learning languages, we speak four languages. Mm. And I can tell you right now, I could do a semester abroad. I wouldn't come home fluent. So that's that's impressive. <laughs> so what did you take from kind of the what you were learning in the education background to how to how do you actually learn? Is there a more efficient way of, you know, they say it's like having a genie and having wishes and you say, well, I want to wish for more wishes. And, you know, of course, we don't have a genie. But if you if you had a wish, it would be like, I want to learn how to learn because then I, right. could, you know, then I can learn all of these things. So. What what would you say would be some takeaways from your education background of how do I learn how to learn more efficiently? Specific languages, specific yeah, two languages. Yeah, because so, that's kind of my yeah, it's kinda learning thing, right? a new language. I mean, I've studied Spanish. It's extremely difficult to acquire a new language. So, what are the secrets? How do I how do I get Ooh, a new language faster? And that's a tricky one. So I'll I'll start with this. There's no silver bullet. Right, that disclaimer from the, the the from the start. But I think if you're going to persist in studying a language and really be successful, there's got to be some some kind of a why behind it because it's hard, right? Day to day learning new things, grammar, etc. You know, forget that vocabulary. You got to have that impulse that pushes you past that. For me, it was always some kind of a cultural um, kind of a hook. Right. I was interested in the culture or the history or I, I was I was planning a trip to go there or or maybe I'm sitting across from my host mother and I just like her and I want to communicate with her. Right. And that really drives you um, to continue learning. So you got to have a why. OK. But then beyond that, you know, you can apply these different principles like the 80 20 principle. Right. So if you look at all words, all grammar. Right. And what's my goal if, if it's really to just communicate, you can get a lot of communication done with a relatively small amount of linguistic tools as far as vocabulary and, and basic grammar. Um, and you, you think about that, you know, if you're listening to a, a, a non-native speaker of English, they could absolutely butcher a sentence, but you could, you know, largely still understand what they're saying. Go with that, right? And just communicate and speak as much and, you know, as early as often. Okay. Nice. And then if you had to break down like study habits, if I were wanting to learn a language, is that an hour a day, 30 minutes a day? Do I study on an app? What do you think the best strategy of just to dive in and start learning a new language? So um, given that people have time constraints and energy constraints, I, I think you want to tend toward uh, more often as opposed to uh, more prolonged study sessions. Meaning if I'm looking at a course of a week and I'd say I have an, you know, an hour to allocate, I'd rather split that up into you know 15 minute chunks you know, four times a week as opposed to just doing an hour on Right. Okay. More frequent exposure to the language, I think, um, is going to be a, a better mode to learn the language. OK. And they say that it's easier to learn, let's say, that third language. So, you, you know, the language you learn as a, as a child, you acquire the second language. It's very difficult. But the next language is somewhat easier. Did you find that to be true? It, it, it was. I hesitate because it certainly was. Um, I don't know if I could articulate why or, or like that mechanism, but I certainly found that to be the case. And so the specific path I took was I learned Spanish first and then I learned Portuguese. Portuguese very close to Spanish in terms of, you know, grammar or some pronunciation. Um, and so that was a natural next step because uh, I already had that background. Now, the third one I learned was Arabic. Very different night and day to any of the romance languages I spoke previously. 
Um, but yet it, it was more, you know, I guess seamless to pick that language up having studied other, just the, just the knowing what goes into the process, right? Of the grind, of the studying, different grammatical concepts, you kind of pick it up easier as opposed to someone stumbling into Arabic having, having no foreign language background. Okay. So we've, we've discussed the uh, value of education, learning, being a teacher, but, you know, if we start thinking about, um, you know, that transfer of knowledge, what other values do you think are really important um, to focus on to, to become a better educator? Yeah, certainly. Uh, and you could look, look at it, of course, from the, the teacher's perspective and the students, right? I mean, I think number one, we touched on that on, as far as the teacher goes, is just you have to have this belief in the student, right? And so, I mean, you have to have this uh, sense of, you know, well-wishing for the student, right? I mean, uh, some of the best teachers, if you observe them in action, you know, they, they make it look easy, number one. You sit there and watch that as a student teacher and you go, yeah, I get could do that the students are just doing what they're supposed to do and like how hard is that well they're it, it's all going well because at the end of the day the the students know that they're cared for right that that the student that the teacher ultimately loves and, and cares for the students and wants them to it right so so some form of of love or or, or well wishing is got to be present between teacher to student okay and then ideally, on the student's perspective, there's curiosity there, right? I mean, look at a successful learner, a successful student is curious, and there's also perseverance there. Learning is not easy, right? Certainly, you know, in an education system, you're, you're called upon to learn things that you're not necessarily naturally curious about. And so you got to push through that. Right. So there's there's all these other kind of ancillary skills that we learn as students, which are also useful beyond the content itself that we're engaging with. OK, yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, now with education, um, you know, we have so much technology. Right. I mean, we used to do math longhand and then there was the calculator and whether or not we could use the calculator. And now we have spreadsheets. But then, you know, fourth quarter, artificial intelligence of chat AI, uh, GPT, uh, became available, kind of yep. went, went viral. And the education system had to really scramble and make policies of, you know, it's not allowed. It's not allowed in my kid's school. They banned it, you know, and. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh, they that's did. They said, yeah, okay. you, you can't use it. Um, you know, I know some, you know, professors have said, um, you know, whether or not it'd be allowed in their, their course. But, um, you know, it's, it's basically, uh, you know, artificial intelligence that, you know, students can say, hey, write this essay and it'll generate a, a pretty decent document. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? And, you know, how do you, what do you, how do you see that playing out? Well, and I know you and I have kind of talked about this, just kind of playing with the tool itself. Um, but as far as, you know, within the context of education, this is not a new question. You know, there will always be kind of a new technology of the day. Um, and so if you think about it, you know, calculators, right? Back, you know, going through through school, is it, do I do it longhand or do I use the calculator, right? So this is it's not a new question, any new technology that students could use. The question is, is do we want students to take that and leverage it to do more, require more of them, or do you want to ignore it and exist, you know, pretend it doesn't exist and have them kind of learn the, the more old school methods, the more rote methods. I think probably there's a mixture of both. There should be 
students do need to learn fundamental skills in the absence of kind of this new technology that could do it for them. But at the end of the day, let's look at a real world application um, and, and let's tie it back to Bloom's taxonomy, right? If we want students, educated humans to be able to analyze and evaluate and create, these are the things that currently machines aren't very good at, right? So I think those are the things that we should focus on aspiring to for our students to be able to do. And yeah, if I can get a robot to help me to do that more effectively, I think that's great, right? Let's harness it. And so my Spanish students used to ask me, hey, can I use Google Translate? And so uh, I would tell them, your directive is for you to communicate in Spanish. Hey, if, if you need a word here or there, yeah, look it up. But your goal is to communicate. Can you complete the communicative task set before you? Because I'll, I'll know, you know, if I read something that they wrote and it's, it's, it's generated, I'll, I'll know, right? And you're not completing the task. Fail, right? The, 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 the directive is complete the task. If there are technological tools at your disposal that will help you do that at a higher level, have at it. So as long as the it's the balance of technology enabling versus, you know, preventing you from from learning. That's right. And so a snippet, you know, the school district I worked in, fantastic district. Um, that I heard it said a number of times: when you come into the class, have your phone set to learn, as if that were a a setting, right? Okay, I have this tool. It has the internet. It has all these tools. Let me make sure I'm utilizing this to learn. Right, not to circumvent the learning process, but to enhance it. I like that. Yeah. So, do you think that you would have been able to recognize someone that used Chat AI to generate their Spanish homework? I don't know. <laughs> I truly don't know. But what I could do is sit there and watch them write it with a pencil. <laughs> you know, do that. And then certainly on the speaking on the speaking front, there's just there's nowhere to hide. Right. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to see how this kind of debate, um, you know, plays out, but, uh, you know, certainly I know, you know, kids are always going to look for, you know, some tools, some technology to, to lighten the burden. So, homework. so here's an example. And I, I play with chat GPT, right? Anytime you ask it to, um, form an opinion, right. Or to do some form of evaluation, it'll tell you I am a chat bot and I'm not designed to do that. Right, so why don't I, if I'm going to require a, a task of a student, I'll go. I'll ask an evaluative question, right? Okay. Usually, a question involving should. Right, and there you go, and spit it out, and then I'll know a human produced that, right? So we just have to kind of continually stay ahead of what the capability is in order to vet what students are truly capable of doing. That's nice. Yep. So if you were going to design, um, you know, a curriculum right now, knowing that we have Chat AI. How do you think you would design your curriculum differently? I mean, just using the should comments, is there anything else that you would do? Yeah, and I think honestly, the my curriculum was uh, chat GPT proof as far as far as I know, right? Because again, at the end of the day, it's posing this interesting question um, that students want to chime in on, right? So that's there's this desire to communicate provide them with the linguistic elements that they would need to do so. But again, there's this personalized delivery where it means something. What the student is saying really means something to them because it's their opinion. It's their own evaluation. So I, I want to create a lesson that's engaging to where the student doesn't want 
to go to a tool like that. They want to say what they're actually thinking and feeling. And, it, uh, and in that sense, I don't think uh, chat GPT would, would be an issue. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. That's great. So your background as an educator now changing careers, obviously there's tons of learning that had to uh, be done for, to become a financial planner. Um, are you using your education background now as a, as a financial planner? You know, uh, certainly there are there are ways of doing that now. Some of the more technical kind of rubber meets the road. Obviously, there's not lesson design and that thing. But but the more core values we discuss of education of of truly caring for your counterpart, right? Whether it's student or client, of believing in them that they can be successful. Um, those things certainly are present. Um, I mean, there there are. Um, times when speaking with clients where it is helpful to explain different concepts to them. And I find that that clients will be more confident in their financial plan and will stick with it if they do have a sense of, of understanding what goes into it. So there is kind of this educational component to certain financial topics. Um, but overall, it's just this belief in the client and then this overwhelming kind of well-wishing toward them to, for them to be successful. So in, in being an educator and teaching Spanish and being engaged in teaching and loving what you do, what, what was the event or what triggered you to say, hey, I want to be, now I want to be a financial planner? You know, kind of a confluence of, of different things, right? So right about this time, uh, my wife and I were talking about starting a family, right? So looking at kind of career prospects and then you know, about that time too, I, I began to become personally interested in, in personal finance, right? And so time, what we're talking about earlier is there's no real formal education on the topic. So I got married, starting out in our career and, and having to kind of study up on this stuff. Come to find out there's an actual career path where you can do that professionally. And, and so I kind of just kept doing, going down that path. So much like when I was in college and I just felt this tug of curiosity toward languages, I, I kind of started to feel this tug of, of curiosity and this momentum toward financial planning and just, just pursued that. And so there was a period of time there where I was actually uh, teaching part-time. I teach class in the morning. I was teaching AP Spanish, you know, language and, and literature. And then uh, I'd eat lunch. I'd make my commute down to Dallas and I had a, a job as a, a, a paraplanner, right? A part-time job. And so I was kind of living in both of these worlds for a period of about a year. And then and I was going to school at night. At SMU has a program for, to prepare for the, uh, the CFP. And um, just kind of transitioned to full-time role after that school year, full-time role, and just kind of kept going down that path. Nice. So, you know, for me, I think in uh, becoming a financial planner, I felt really fortunate that I had a personal finance class. And I started gaining all this knowledge about, you know, practical life situations, buying a house, um, you know, buying a car, should I own or lease a car and what's that cost and what's the difference? And, you know, the education system, you know, for me, when I went to school, there was zero personal finance. So you get out of school and you go, okay, I need to buy a home. I need to be a grown up. And I have really, I never learned those things to apply. And that's largely still the case today, right? I mean, there's not much in the way of basic financial education for students. 
Right, right. I mean, and that's one of the things I you know wish would change out there that we could get the education system to give people practical tools and that education knowledge. Now, I know that you're doing a big part in that with the next gen planning. Uh, right. If you want to talk a little bit about that, I'm super fascinated. Well, yeah. And so, you know, there's a bit of a walking contradiction here. What we said at the outset is, you know, education is, is useful and, and beneficial. It's an end unto itself as opposed to a practical application. At the end of the day, though, there are certain practical applications that we should teach to, right? And I think personal finance is one of those. Um, you know, everyone graduates, whether whether you make money doing X, Y, or Z profession, at the end of the day, you have income and you ought to know how to manage your wealth. And we're just not having that those basic skills taught in school. So that is an issue we start, as you know, at our firm, uh, this next-gen educational series to teach those basic personal finance concepts to, you know, many of our clients have voiced kind of this, this gap in the educational system that their children and grandchildren just aren't learning these basic things until later in their career. And especially in the context of kind of the old pension plans kind of going by the wayside, really, as soon as you start your career, you got to be on it. You got to know how much you should be saving and you got to get started Otherwise, you're going to be kind of behind the eight ball toward the end of your, your career. And so we're looking at that going, what a great way for us to provide you know, value to our community of clients and their families to provide little YouTube snippets of basic personal finance concepts. So what is it called? Where, where, where can people find it? So if you go to the North Texas Wealth Management YouTube channel, you'll find a playlist. It's called the Next Gen Q&A Series. Um, and you're, there's currently 10 to 15 videos. We're, we're constantly adding new ones and we constantly will add new ones. Um, and it's called a Q&A series for a reason, meaning if you or a loved one has a specific question, submit it. There's a link on there. Ask us the question. If we get enough inquiries for that specific topic, we'll speak to it in a specific video. That's great. Yeah, I think for you know clients, that's been one of the big, biggest you know concerns. They financially like they get to a point where they're financially secure then they turn to, to us and say you know hey what about my grandkids and they need this information and i wish i would have learned it earlier and where can they go for information and, right and it's it's challenging to find a place so you've really had that up and and headed that up and that's it's been great it's well, a great tool clear passion of mine right i mean so it's education and finance and so i think it's a natural fit and you can i hopefully that translates in some of the videos you've done is i'm really um, you know passionate about doing that for people so learning is a value it's a habit right mm -hmm. so tell me about like your daily routine what are what are you doing to make sure you're continuing to learn yeah no great question i because i think we try and whether we know it or not we, we try and put learning in a box. You know, you go like, a hey, school, that's where you learn, right? And, and, and if you're not at school, you're not learning. Well, that's not the case, right? So school is this great place where we have designed to accelerate the learning process, ideally. But really, we should always be learning. And so I'll, I'll tell you this, um, you know, I've got two girls, four and a half and two, right? And this is a value that I'm really, wanting to instill in them. And so when I wake them up every morning, my wife and I kind of get the, the day started and I tell them uh, it's another day to learn and grow. And so that's what we do. We learn. 
we grow, we learn new things, right? And it's not always easy, but that's what we're, we're called to do. And so I, I, as best as I can, I, I try and live that out. And so, I mean, at any given time, I'm, I'm listening to an audio book. I've got a couple podcasts going. Um, I'm studying this, that, or the other for work, a new, you know, a tax legislation coming out and I'm doing a deep dive on it or just something I'm curious about that I come across. Uh, there's really, uh, and I forget about it sometimes, the volume of new information I consume on a daily basis because it is just part of my routine. Largely that's done via audio just because I can I can multitask, I can work out and do that, I can do the dishes and, and do that, but I'm always, I'm always consuming something new. What do you find like it just, I think the challenge now is there's so much content, right? The YouTube videos and podcasts, there's just so much content. How do you, how should a person go about like tailoring that to be more focused in their learning? Well, I'd say just follow your curiosity, right? Uh, now there, there are certain instances where you go like, Hey, I have a specific application for knowledge that I need to improve on. Right. So for me, example, you know, like if there's a new topic at work, I'll do a deep dive on that topic. Right. But uh, beyond that, it's just like, hey, what are you curious about? And follow that rabbit hole, right? The other thing is uh, if, you're, if you're into podcasts and different outlets, you may find that personality-wise, you kind of match well with certain podcasters, right? Podcasters. Um, and so you may tend to listen to them and kind of pick and choose the different guests and their backgrounds accordingly. But I'd say, you know, treat it as just a, uh, a uh, just following your, your curiosities, whatever naturally kind of uh, appeals to you. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. So I really like that you, you know, talked about your kids and how you're encouraging them to learn. Was there a specific time period or an event that, that occurred that you realized like you had this passion for learning? Um, yeah, you know, what comes to mind is, um, so being in college out at Texas Tech, um, I actually originally started as a pre-med student. Um, and, I, and I actually, I was pre-med first three years of school and I was doing well, doing all the science and the biology and the physics and everything else and getting A's and the rest. Um, but after my study abroad experience in Spain, I had this just passion for languages and I, I couldn't really explain that. I just, I just love learning foreign languages. And it was right about that time I started kind of like picking up on some Portuguese and doing some Arabic here and there. Um, and I found myself kind of in between classes, I would just be in the library studying Portuguese. I wasn't enrolled in a Portuguese class um, and I was just really interested in it. I was like, wow, I think I could probably learn this if I just try a little bit. And then it kind of got to the point where, okay, I'm, I'm, and I'm gonna tell myself here, sorry, mom, skipping certain classes to stay in the library and study languages, right? So it's kind of this gut check moment of why am I here at school? What is the purpose of this process? Is it to get the degree, get the job, make the money? Or is it to follow my curiosities? And you, you hear that as a cliche, hey, just study what you're interested in, right? And it'll all work out. You know, sometimes it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. So you just have to choose. In my case, I chose to, to follow the path of languages. Uh, I changed my major. I, I dropped um, the pre-med and I just majored in Spanish. I wound up getting minors in uh, chemistry because I, I had so much chemistry at that point, I like one more class to do. 
and also a minor in Arabic. But I, I, I just went full in on languages, having no clear application for after school and what that would look like. Um, but you know what I love? Steve Jobs actually has a great quote. He did that commencement speech. I think it was at Stanford. You can right. YouTube it, like viral. And he was one of those guys, like just super brilliant, and but he you know, dropped out and all this. Of course, in hindsight, it worked out. But he said, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but I'll paraphrase it. It's only in hindsight that you can really connect the dots and see how that path made sense. In hindsight now, I, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I, I was passionate about that and my passions changed over the time to financial planning. And I went back to school and, and I kind of retooled on that front. Uh, but I, I'm, you know, all things considered, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my path. I'm glad I did that. I, I don't know. Otherwise I'd be pre-med, I'd be a doctor. I don't, maybe I would like that. I don't know. But I, all I knew was in that moment, I was really passionate about uh, learning this content. Oh, that's great. And what, what do you consider your best or biggest success so far? Mm. You know, the, the thing that matters most to me is my family. Uh, and so um, I just think about my my relationship with my wife and, and uh, you know, our, our girls and raising them. That, that to me is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, now, I, I have certainly had some success in being able to transition careers and, and kind of um, kind of progress in my new career path. And I'm super proud of that. Uh, but yeah, the, fir the first thing that comes to mind is family. Yep. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you have, yeah, the strong values of, um, you know, family absolutely impact you. And, um, and then, you know, help, help me connect, like you have this passion for teaching others and learning and how would you kind of summarize, how has that really shaped your success? Hmm. Um, uh, well, yeah, I tell you it, it is, there are practical applications, Right. I mean, there are you don't you don't fully divorce the, the practical from the theoretical. Right. I mean, when it came down to it, I was ready to do my career transition. I found this new topic I was interested in. And it's, you know, once you learn how to learn, it's it's like the Matrix, you know, plug me in, do the download. And now I have this new skill set and let me go apply it. And that's kind of what happened. I mean, it was a multi-year process um, to kind of retool uh, to learn this new domain right of, of financial planning but i was able to do that and it's been uh very beneficial for for me uh, rewarding for my career and, and certainly helpful for my family and our, our kind of our trajectory of our where we're headed yeah. wow, that's great and um what's next well um on the learning front i'm currently applying to smu's executive mba program um, nice. thanks for the inspiration on that <laughs> one mike i give you a nudge a little nudge. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited. I know, I think you made a comment here recently, you know, going through the program is it's like running a marathon. Yeah. You know, it, it's arduous. Uh, you're going through it, but then you look back on it fondly. And so I'm really looking forward to that. That little start here in the fall. Uh, and I'm kind of bracing, preparing, knowing what it will take to be successful in the program and kind of getting ready for that. Well, I think I think you'll do great. I mean, you have the study habits, um, you know, the uh, I think your whole perspective and how you learn education is really unique. And the I don't know, you just absorb all this information and, and retain it. I'm, I'm impressed with your the rate of learning. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think you'll have the challenges that probably I had in the program, and, but you'll definitely get a lot out of it. So. I appreciate that. Yeah. So. 
Well, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, being here. Uh, lots of fun and talking about education and learning. So uh, stay tuned uh, for the next guest, next value that we'll discuss. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you soon.